everybody. We're back for another episode of the Mind Virus Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find us on the web at mindvirus.show. We like to do a little page on every podcast episode where we include the links or we include links to resources and references that we discuss during the podcast or sometimes video clips, etc. Um, we'd love to see a little bit of of uh, discussion going on there. If any of you listeners have anything to say, it'd be great to, to see you post on that site. Anyway, this week, um, before we get into the podcast, I just want to point out that, well, this is the podcast. Before we get to our, our guest <laughs> host here, we had one of those 1984 moments where we've switched enemies mid-sentence. John Stewart went on the Stephen Colbert show and dropped the bomb on on his statist audience that now it's important to recognize that the virus was engineered in a lab in Wuhan. And much to the chagrin of uh, Stephen Colbert, he made it clear that that was now the new talking point. And we've, we've read this before on uh, on the podcast, but I'm going to read you again the the snippet from the book 1984 when they change enemies mid mid right in the middle of a, right in the middle of a of a political rally. Let's see. Um, It was night, and the white faces and the scarlet banners were luridly floodlit. The square was packed with several thousand people, including a block of a thousand schoolchildren in the uniform of the spies. On a scarlet-draped platform, an orator of the inner party, a small, lean man with disproportionately long arms and a large, bald skull over which a few lank locks straggled, was haranguing the crowd. A little Rumpelstiltskin figure, contorted with hatred, he gripped the neck of the microphone with one hand while the other, enormous at the end of a bony arm, clawed the air menacingly above his head. His voice, made metallic by the amplifiers, boomed forth an endless catalog of atrocities, massacres, deportations, lootings, rapings, torture of prisoners, bombing of civilians, lying propaganda, unjust aggressions, broken treaties, etc. It was almost impossible to listen to him without being first convinced and then maddened. At every moment... At every few moments, the fury of the crowd boiled over and the voice of the speaker was drowned by a wild, beast-like roaring that rose uncontrollably from thousands of throats. The most savage yells of all came from the schoolchildren. The speech had been proceeding for perhaps 20 minutes when a messenger hurried onto the platform and a scrap of paper was slipped into the speaker's hand. He unrolled it and read it without pausing in his speech. Nothing altered in his voice or manner or in the context of what he was saying, but suddenly the names were different. Without words said, a wave of understanding rippled through the crowd. Oceania was at war with East Asia. <laughs> so that they had been at war with Eurasia prior to that, and now they're at war with East Asia. Have you read 1984? I have not. Okay. How about Brave New World? No, but I, I need to. Our guest today is a young man named Tom, an acquaintance of mine, close acquaintance. 
Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're going to get his perspective as a as a younger individual. What what part of uh, uh, are you a millennial generation or are you a uh, I think consumer? What do they call you? A Gen Z. Gen Z. So you're younger than the millennial yeah, generation. Yeah, right. Right, younger than. Him. They call you guys Zoomers. I uh, have you heard I that? Know. I've heard of it. I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, let me finish this thought here because this this is so important. We we brought this up uh, several months ago on the podcast. We even read this same passage, but literally, we're having one of those turn on a dime. Changing the, uh, we, we quoted how Orwell pointed out that with, with television, radio, and, and newspaper advertising or propaganda that the, the oligarchy is able to change the opinions of the masses on a whim just by telling them this new quote-unquote truth that they must believe. And this time, remember, they, remember how adamantly opposed the statist media and those people who support the state in that way, the, the blind, mindless statists have been antagonistic towards the idea that the, the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, had been engineered in a lab. They, they've, they've vitriolically hated that idea for the last year and uh, character assassinated pre pretty much anyone that would say it. Uh, Zero Hedge, for example, got kicked off of Facebook and Twitter for insinuating it early on. And so there's been a lot of collateral damage over this. And, and now, just barely, they're starting to tell people, no, that's not the case. Now you need to believe that it was created in a lab. And the question is, um, like the Corona Circus guys have proposed, who, why, and why now? Why, why would they be doing this? Because it's happening right now. And John Stewart, a high priest of the illiberal statist ideology, has come down on the Colbert show to tell people, no, now it's time to believe that it was created in a lab. Well, here's what you see next. This is what happened in 1984. The next moment, there was a tremendous commotion. The banners and posters with which the square was decorated were all wrong. Quite half of them had the wrong faces on them. It was sabotage. The agents of Goldstein had been at work. There was a riotous interlude while the posters were ripped from the walls, banners torn to shreds and trampled underfoot. The spies performed the spies performed prodigies of activity in clamoring over the rooftops and cutting the streamers that fluttered from the chimneys. But within two or three minutes it was all over. The orator, still gripping the neck of the microphone, his shoulders hunched forward, his free hand clawing at the air, had gone straight on with his speech. One minute more, and the feral roars of rage were again bursting from the crowd. The hate continued exactly as before, except now the target had been changed. The thing that impressed Winston in looking back was that the speaker had switched from one line to the other, actually in mid-sentence, not only without a pause, but without even breaking syntax. Okay. Wow. Th this, is, this is what is... I mean, it almost almost literally happened this way on the Colbert show. If you haven't seen it or haven't read about it, it is a big, big deal because we're now coming to sort of a synthesis because the, remember the contrived right side of the political spectrum has been all about the idea that 
this was likely engineered in a Chinese lab in the Wuhan Institute or whatever, the, the virology lab, and that it could have been a bioweapon. And so if you're, if you subscribe to the, you know, mainstream tabloid uh, conservatism of the day, you're supposed to hate China and think this was engineered in a lab. And now the oligarchy is trying to create a synthesis where they bring the statist leftist side into that same understanding. And why would they be doing that? It's a good mm -hmm. question. But more alarming than that is how easily they're able to change public opinion so quickly right. to something that is actually 100% opposite of what it was before. What do you think of all of this, Tom? It is uh, crazy to be growing up in a world that seems to have gone crazy. <laughs> do you ever remember, do you remember it ever being not crazy? No, I don't. You're... I mean, I kind of came to my senses uh, only recently. So I, I, I you don't came to your much. senses. What does that mean? You're a young, you're a young person. How can you even know what your senses are? <laughs> I, I, I'm still. I know. To I know it you've out. grown up in a. You've grown up in a family that is uh, quite out of the ordinary. So you had some bias or influence that was non-standard. Right. Right. From a very young age. But tell me, tell me about this coming to your senses. What was there some sort of an awakening? Well, no, it's more more of just like actually thinking about the world outside rather than just in my home. Um, like I don't remember what I've thought during much of my childhood. Just as I grew up, I I became more thoughtful and. Well, tell me, tell me this, you're, uh, you're going to be a junior in college next year, right? Yeah, yeah. Is that right? So that gives you a little information about Tom and how old he is. Uh, you're attending a local university up north. Right. Is that right? Right, right. <laughs> okay. And uh, why did you pick that university? Um, scholarship. <laughs> okay. Okay. By the way... Uh, if any of you listeners have uh, know any eligible young women uh, of high stature, in high intellect, good looking, good SAT, ACT scores, uh, let me know. I'll pass on a note to, to Tom here. He's he needs uh, needs a friend. Um, <laughs> no, what I, what I'm wondering is. Uh, have you, you've been out in the world a little bit, you've been, you've been away from home. Right. Does your, this, this, uh, kind of alternative upbringing you've had, does it, help with how you're seeing the world and help you to navigate the world? Does it help you to see what's going on or do you find places where, what you learned from home didn't match. I mean, what, tell me, tell me how that works. Well, I mean, there have been many cases where what I've learned at home hasn't matched, but I mean, then I have to struggle and try to figure out what I think is true. Um, so that's, that's what I've been doing. I've been doing a lot of that, but also, I mean, it has impacted the way I see the world and 
I really appreciate the, the perspective I have, but it kind of makes me feel a little alienated. Like the other, a week or two ago, I was at a, a young single adult uh, ward activity and I was, I was just socializing with people and then it just, well, the people started talking about the, the birds aren't real thing. Have you heard of that? Yeah, birds are, this is a contrived idea. This, it's sort of a uh, concept that is intended to make conspir- people who study conspiracy look bad. Right, right. They say that birds are not real, but they are government, uh, they're machines made by the government to spy on us, right? Right, right. And it's a big joke that people, like, well, I think it's really popular. I've heard several people just, mention it in casual conversation and so someone mentioned that at my ward activity and it just hit me that I'm I don't really belong in that in that culture in that mindset. Give me give me some examples of things that you learned at home that didn't mesh with what you were experiencing out in the real world. Well obviously political differences Okay. Like what my teachers would say versus what my parents would say. Okay, because when you said that earlier, I thought you were saying that you found that your parents were wrong. No, no, no. Okay, so... Not necessarily. I, I'm sure you found instances where your parents were wrong, but, yes. but the level of wrongness, you're not, you're not saying they were dramatically wrong. What you're saying is you found instances where other adults vehemently disagreed with the worldview of your parents. Right, right. And I, usually when I think about what the other adults are saying, Mm -hmm. I sort, I like, I explore their side, but I usually end up taking a perspective that's closer to my parents. But I, I've put in some more nuance because the more experience I get, the more I realize that there's a lot of nuance in the world and that... I just think it's important in my mind. So it's hard months. It's hard for a parent to tell something to a kid because kids they take things as black and white right off the bat. Right, right. right. And so then any anything that seems to run contrary to the narrative then becomes a black mark against the narrative mm-hmm. and puts in question the narrative, right? Right. So what you're saying is you see that you have... Um, other credentialed adults out there, highly credentialed adults who, who hold mm-hmm. these differing views, and they then provide color for what your what your parents have been talking about. They don't necessarily prove them wrong. They right, color. right. Why, why is it that you haven't just switched over to the views of your professors? Because I think they have kind of a sterile way that they look at the world and I don't like it. I mean, it's... Were your professors uh, deathly afraid of coronavirus? Yes. All of them? Well, I have... One of them was very afraid and she was a demon about (laughs) COVID restrictions. Like, and she was flustered when her, her second mask kept falling off. So she had to progress with just one mask. (laughs) (laughs) what do you think about that i just it made me think a little less of her um and i'm i mean she's a uh 
she seems like a, a she's very good at what she does, but mm-hmm. it's not the kind of person I I wanted her to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you some of these professors are in the area of discipline that you've chosen to study. Mm-hmm. Does that bother you that you're going to have to deal with them for another couple of it years? It does, but I I just am going to do it either way. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about, uh, so almost, almost unilateral or universally, the uh, teachers were following the mainstream governmental news, corporate news attitudes about COVID. Yes. Even the, the one conservative teacher that I knew, he was very, um, well, I guess, statist in his COVID views. Hmm. But I do, I only, uh, all of my professors pretty much are in the humanities and philosophy type department. So that could have some effect on their opinions. Before, what, let's see, COVID hit the middle of your freshman year? Or at the end uh, of your freshman year? End of my sophomore year. End of your sophomore year. I think. Or no, no, no. End of my freshman year, right. So you had some experience with them before that. What were their political leanings in general? Um, I Prior had, to COVID. I had an economics teacher who I, I think might have been more conservative than others. Mm-hmm. Um are these professors in general pretty liberal, though? Yes, yes. Most, but that's, like, again, huma- humanities and philosophy. Right. Right? You weren't doing business and technology and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I did take some uh, a math class. Um, I, I assume anthropology is in, in the humanities or close to it. Mm-hmm. I, I've mostly had um, humanities teachers, yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. What about the what about the students? Where where do they lean? All the all the people that you've encountered. Um, all of the people who are pursuing similar major to me seem to be very liberal, um, and very scared of. By liberal, you mean illiberal? I mean, uh, well, I mean statist. Yeah, for the most part. I don't know exactly how I would describe them, but. So your roommates? My roommates are... Kids you've met in just around? I, for the most part, it's pretty, uh, they're pretty similar. Although my roommates are more Mormony. <laughs> so, so does that make them conservative or just conservative statist? Right, right. I guess you've got right statist, left statist. Now at this point, you've got the the really old, what we what we used to would have called liberal leaning mm-hmm. leftist statists, and then you have conservative leaning rightist statists. See, the whole political spectrum is all messed up because mm-hmm. we call people liberal if they're Democrats. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't mean anything. The word liberal is supposed to mean that they want more freedom. 
Mm-hmm. But that's not what the Democrats want. The Democrats want more regulation. They just want the regulation right. to be in favor of the gay lobby, the, mm-hmm. the abortion lobby, and the anti-gun rights lobby, or the gun control lobby, and in favor of governmental regulation on business. That's, see, there's no liberal there. Mm-hmm. That's just, it's just changing away from the way America used to be. So therefore right. they call that liberal. Right. Because it's the opposite of conservative. Conservative is supposed to be conserving the way that it was. Or, right. or slow changes, not, not dramatic changes. So, so I, don't, I don't like to call them liberal because they're not liberal. Thomas Jefferson was a liberal, a classical liberal. Right. And so now a lot of people you'll see discussing the political elite and the, the leftists... Mm-hmm. as illiberal. Mm-hmm. So I guess we call them status... I would call them status left, status right. You know what I'm okay. talking about when I say statism. Yeah. How do you, what, do you, what do you think of when I say the word statism? Um, more, more government. They want more government. They think government is the source... Well, is the solution of their problems. Mm, okay. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so you think most of your... Most of the kids you encounter are statists, but some are Mormon conservative statists versus leftist statists. I don't really know how to classify, classify them because I, I think, feel like a lot of people avoid political conversations because it's so divisive. Um, whether you're statist left or statist right, it just, it, it can ruin relationships. Um, so I... I haven't heard any hardcore political conversations, but so people so I don't, don't talk about it very much. Not a lot, although uh, one of my roommate's girlfriends, uh, he, she, she's pretty vocal about like she she loves uh, Kamala Harris and really yeah and why I don't know. I, I I think she just she's an interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> so so she'll talk a lot about politics and stuff. Yeah, and she well I mean not I don't know what what is politics and what isn't. I mean every most people that That's the problem, isn't it, right? Now everything has to do with the government. The government is involved in everything. Right. And has it always been that way your whole life? I, not that I know of. I don't it's, know. You, you were born, you know, right around the time of 9-11. Mm-hmm. It's been steadily getting worse during your life, but because you've been growing up, you haven't noticed it. So, so what's, interesting about, what's interesting about my life is that it hasn't always been that way. We, really? we enjoyed at least what we thought was, a, was freedom or it was a modicum of freedom. Mm-hmm. And and things have been gradually changing, changing to where everything is interfered with by the godless, devilish state. Mm-hmm. You know, so anyway, what? Uh, okay, here's getting back to something I said earlier. What's dating like? Uh, how how are you going to find a compatible? Young woman, I assume you're looking for a young woman. Yes, I. It <laughs> seems hopeless uh, from my eyes, but I know a few people who are like trying to date. I and I think it's 
it's harder to meet people than it was before. Where are people meeting each other? Um, well, board activities. Um, okay. I think a lot of people do online dating, but I haven't tried it. How, um, you know they do online online dating, or you think they do? I know that uh, several people who have tried it. Oh, okay. But some some people don't like it. Some okay. people. So there's still the war the quote ward activities. Yes, they started they started back up. Okay. So that that was weird, right? Because you had about a year's worth of black hole on uh, church activities. Pretty much. Yeah. Do you know anybody or know of anybody who knows anybody that was a kid that was seriously injured or debilitated by coronavirus? No. I know of one one girl that said she got it and said it was hard, but not as hard as pneumonia, which she had previously had. Yeah. But. So, in an anecdotal way, it's true that the kids are hardly affected by it at all. Right. But even more so in a in a statistical way. <laughs> okay. Even more so in a statistical way. That's true because we have all the empirical data yeah. that shows that uh, kids in, in your range are almost impervious to it. Right. Universally. Mm -hmm. Huh. Um, yeah, so anyway, if you do know any eligible young ladies, <laughs> they need to be smart and good looking. Okay. Check. Check. Do you ever hear about critical race theory? Um, I well, not by that name, but I feel like there's a a culture like you just everyone's afraid to say something offensive um, because it might be like people don't really want to talk about race because that's the culture that people are going to jump down your throats if you. So it's basically a, an undiscussed issue now. From what I've seen. Um, I did take an anthropology class where, well, they're trying to prove how race isn't a biological concept. <laughs> <laughs> In anthropology? Yeah. Um, well, they're just saying, like, where are the arbitrary, the, the boundaries are arbitrary, but it, it's very debatable. <laughs> Okay. Um, but I haven't heard much about critical race theory. Okay. I mean, it seems pretty illogical. I don't know why people would accept it. And how do you understand what critical race theory is? That, well, by nature of, just by being white, you're inherently racist. That's what I have heard. It is. Okay. Let's see. Let's uh, get a definition of critical race theory off of Google here. Interesting thing in this article that I'm going to link to on um, on the John Stewart episode on Colbert. Um, <laughs> the author makes some really, really s smart comments. Um, he said 
They've pulled out the John Stewart card to convince the squishy millennials that China is our enemy. Google will now whitewash all references to Fort Detrick, their October 2019 exercise, and all the rest of it. Remember, millennials in general don't know anything. They just Google stuff. He writes S-H-I-T. Mm-hmm. They just Google it and think they're informed. <laughs> so, so now we're going to do that. We're going to Google what, criti- what is critical race theory. Well, that's totally what my generation does, though. You, you Google it. Like, we don't know how to get information besides... Googling. Yeah, uh, Wikipedia says it's a, an academic movement of civil rights scholars and activists in the United State, States who seek to critically examine the law as it intersects with race, with issues of race, and to challenge mainstream liberal approaches to racial justice. That didn't even say anything. Um, so I think, it, isn't it by... It sees racism as systemic and institutional rather than a collection of individual prejudices. And the idea, I think you... See, they don't want to just come out and say it, that what it means is white people are bad because they uh, became the, the critical race or the... I think that's what they mean by critical race is that there was one race that shaped the world the way it is today. Which... I don't know if you could call it race, but it was Western society coming out of Greek, Rome, Greece, Rome, and Egypt, ultimately, is where Western society came from. So, that's just the way the world ended up. Right. So, we just Googled stuff and think we're informed. (laughs) Uh, funny thing, this author follows it up and he says, John Stewart is the foundation on which their, the millennials' basic lack of inquisition is built, while at the same time telling them that they are cynical and informed. That's why the cognitive dissonance over this whole switching from non-lab generated to lab generated was so thorough. Mm-hmm. Now they have to side with the evil Republicans and Trump tards over the China virus because John Stewart told them to do so. It is as predictable as it is pathetic. Wise words, Tom Luongo, who is the guy that wrote this. Great article. I hope you all read this. Um, do you know a lot of kids that think the virus was uh, engineered? Or do, do they talk about that? I feel like the virus that's, came from? that's uh, another touchy subject that people don't like to talk about because it's uh, divisive or... So if you so if you don't if you say I th- if you want to talk to somebody about it and say I think it was engineered they'll say oh the birds aren't real no what they say is but but look at all of the like it can actually do it can actually do some pretty bad harm if you're uh, if you get it if you get it like yeah <laughs> they'll just unless you're a kid yeah I've I've had kids see that. Well, okay, let's move on down my list of questions here. What about social justice causes in general? Are the kids up north in... It's predominantly white, right? Up there at that northern university, Mm -hmm. northern university. Predominantly white, like 90% white, 99% white. Um, 
I would say 90 to, 10, 90 to 99, somewhere in... 95? Let's go with 95. Yeah. I don't know exactly. A lot of Asian and Hispanic? Uh, I've seen... I mean, there are a few. I have seen a few. Not very around. many, huh? Well, anyway, so what's everybody's interest level in the social justice causes like Black Lives Matters? Um, my, my room, my room roommate has a Black Lives Matter fist, uh, really hanging on his wall. Really? Yes. <laughs> Interesting. But he hasn't said anything about it to anybody that I know of. But I mean, I know a lot of people who are really into like Pride Month. Is that a social justice? See... There's a lot of these things that get lumped together because they're all pushed by the illiberal leftist statist movement, and that would be these. How do we put it? Bluntly, but but politely. Modifications of what's considered to be rational sexual behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they lump that in with environmentalism and this, this uh, social justice race war thing going on. And these are all really elements of, if you want to know the truth, they're elements of the eugenics movement for, uh, for the uninformed. Let me just Google the word eugenics. It's a study of how to arrange reproduction within a human population to increase the occurrence of heritable characteristics regarded as desirable. Developed largely by Sir Francis Galton as a method of improving the human race. It was increasingly discredited as unscientific and racially biased during the 20th century. This is from the, Def- from the Oxford Dictionary. Eugenics is understood in a lot of circles as population control, mm-hmm. keeping certain people from from reproducing. But it's also understood to be uh, population control in the sense of trying to have less population. So there's there's two different angles on eugenics there. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole idea of changing people's sexual attitudes at whether it's an intentional result, a direct result, or a byproduct, it's clearly a direct result that if you have men with men and women with women that you can't reproduce. Or if you have women who say they're men Mm -hmm. and act like men, they don't reproduce. And so that is a population control mechanism. And Mm -hmm. One thing that's interesting, we've talked about here on the podcast before, and Many people are unaware of this, but the oligarchy that rules us has deep ties to these early 20th century eugenicists, mm-hmm. and they're definitely into population control and sterilization and whatnot. One of the either a side effect or direct effect of the va- a lot of the vaccines in Africa that the Gates Foundation has been involved in has been the sterilization of young women. It's just a fact. Well, now you get a bunch of fact checkers go out and say, oh, that's not true, blah, 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 blah. Well, um, we've, we've linked to these articles in the past about how, and I guess I have to make a note here to link to it again. They've literally had their vaccine program shut down in certain countries or, 
or throttled back because they're causing paralysis, they're causing sterilization and whatnot. There have been uh, doctors groups in Kenya, Tanzania, Tanzania, um, a couple of other countries, if I remember right, that came out against the, the World Health Organization and the Gates vaccine programs because they were sterilizing young women, you know? So um, I'll have to look that up. We'll get a, we'll get a link to that on the podcast page for this episode. And of course, these sources that I'm putting out, a word, a word on the sources is that, you know, now, now we're to the point where a lot of this material, you cannot find it in a Google search. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of that? That like they've been dramatically changing their algorithm in the last couple of years. And so now oh, really? you, you actually cannot find some of this information because they, it's either not in the algorithm or it's pushed to the 50th page. Mm-hmm. If you search for anything on vaccines, you'll only come up with pro-vaccine content. Mm-hmm. And so now we're beyond reason because we have... We, we have these views that are unsupportable in a scientific and a rational sense, and so therefore now they've re- resorted to just censorship. Right. Because that's your last... That's the last thing that happens before the shooting starts. Mm-hmm. You, know, you start to censor everybody. So anyway, um, that's all part of the eugenics movement, and the so therefore you can look at the... You don't have to, but you can look at the gay and lesbian and transgender movement as part of that. But the promotion of this non-natural generally you know if it weren't promoted so heavily i think it would be generally less desirable type of of lifestyle i know some some people have these tendencies naturally i'm not going to say i don't think that people people don't have these deep ten some some people don't have these deep tendencies but remember the power of suggestion and peer pressure mm-hmm. is huge do i mean do you see that with your peers at college, do you see a lot of transgender, gay, lesbian type of activity um, going on? Because when I was in college, it was sort of don't ask, don't tell. It was very much subsurface. It, if it was there, it was it just wasn't really there. Most people were int- boys were interested in girls, and girls were interested in boys. And there was a few, you know, mm-hmm. you'd run into a few of these guys that were different. <laughs> but you know, again, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. It's just. Mm-hmm. It was it was less of an issue because it wasn't because they hadn't made such a big deal out of it in the media. Right. Anyway, what's it like where you're at? Well, so most pretty much everyone who has something to say uh, about it is sympathetic um, to to having like different a different sexual orientation or whatever. But so, are they? Do you know very many people that have different orientations or, or that have gone transgender? Well, uh, I know I have one friend who is gay. Okay. Um, and he... I don't know. I, I, I don't... I know him. See, when I was a, a missionary and a student in college, and I went to the Lord's University, Brigham Young University, <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, I think I remember one missionary that I think was, but was not telling people. Mm -hmm. And, but that's the only person I can think of. So you're saying you can think of about one person that's openly. Um, 
Yeah, but there are lots of other people in my classes that... You suspect? I suspect. And also, someone in my class had, like, they, them pronouns on on our... Like, you have a, a canvas that you can interact And you can with. specify pronouns in it? Yeah, they... I think people encourage it now in, in co- colleges. Oh, you ever listen to Jordan Peterson on the pronouns? Yes, and I, I agree with him. Well, we'll put a link to that. Tell us about Jordan Peterson and the pronouns. Well, I don't know a lot about it, but he... Apparently, some people are trying to introduce, like, wacky pronouns that aren't even in our language. Like, it's not just that they want to legislate it, that if le- you somehow yeah. don't use somebody's correct pronouns that you get in trouble. Which is ridiculous, because how you're going to, like, force people to be polite. Um, well, it's not just to be polite. You force them to be incorrect. Right, right. But even if it were okay, like, even if it were true, you can't, shouldn't force manners. <laughs> they shouldn't be law. Right, <laughs> right. So anyway, so they're, the school is starting to actively encourage people to specify their pronouns and to... I think encourage people well, to use them. I don't know if the school is saying it, but but it's the like all of the teachers have it on their. So they have their own pronouns. I guess not. Maybe not all of the teachers, but definitely my my teachers. <laughs> See, yeah. So you're at a state-owned institution, mm-hmm. and I I think that this type of uh, that the that the statist, you know the. Uh, Let's just call, I want to use the word perverse. Perverse literally, well, you've studied Latin. Tell us, Tom, what does perverse mean? Where where's that root come from? Well, thoroughly turned. Per is thoroughly and verse is turned. To turn. Yeah. So to pervert means to thoroughly divert thoroughly or change. Turn it, or... change it, alter it. Right, so no offense, in t- you know, don't. Uh, well, everybody's going to take offense, but the point is, the word pervert or perverse is an accurate word here. They're changing the. Re- they want to change the reality. They want to change the the way that things are talked about, and so it's it's sort of this perversion of of what of the continuity that has held our society in a certain place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. So I think that that's more prevalent down at uh, the University of Utah. I remember attending a, a graduation ceremony down there and seeing how, what, what's the word, out, just how it appeared that a lot of the kids had just intentionally made their appearance extreme just for the sake of being perverse, being different, to thoroughly change themselves. And... Uh, I, I think there's there are some memes out there or, or before and after pictures. Uh, this is it's an especially prevalent influence on young women where yeah. they'll go to college and then they, they're these beautiful, wholesome looking girls and then they come. And they shave their heads. They shave their heads or or you know start taking hormones to become boys. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's it's definitely affecting young women in a big way and and I remember going to that University of Utah graduation and seeing some of these girls going oh, okay if that's what you want to do but it, it doesn't it doesn't seem wholesome it doesn't seem like it's helping you right <laughs> it seems like it's hurting you it's going to hurt your happiness in the long run I don't know maybe they're happy 
Maybe. But uh, I, I'm guessing you don't see as much up up there up north. And I have uh, when I've been up there, I know I didn't notice a lot of the same stuff I noticed at the U. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there's a few, but I it's not not overpowered. Not as common. Not as common. How many? How sucked into? Oh, we're talking about eugenics really quick. The point is, in, environmentalism is an extension of the eugenics movement. The whole point about environmentalism is that man is bad. Everything is caused by man. Mm-hmm. That even though the massive fireball in the sky that's eight light seconds away from Earth, also known as the sun, even though that is the by far and away the, the most significant factor relative to temperatures on the Earth. Far and away, like 99% of any warming, cooling, or whatever is related to activity on the sun. Mm. And uh, yet somehow the Earth people here have decided that man-made global warming is an important thing to focus on. Right. I mean, literally, there are scientists out there that, that are always warning about how a solar flare could just reach out and just completely destroy the earth. You know, mm-hmm. we, we live, we live sort of in this, uh, range of, of solar activity where we could be incinerated at any point in time by the mm-hmm. sun. And yet, you know, they don't want you to, to eat red meat because cars fart or cars, cows, because cows <laughs> fart and cars fart too. Cars, because car emissions, <laughs> auto emissions are, are killing us, so therefore, don't drive your car. While meanwhile, Al Gore and all these movie stars jet set around the world mm-hmm. using all kinds of carbon. So, so the whole point about eugenics is not about saving the planet; it's about uh, putting down, destroying humanity, keeping people from reproducing. And so, so the the reason we're talking about eugenics is because it seems like a lot of the statist left people have gotten sucked into that. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and my guess is that a lot of your peers that are into social justice causes are also into environmental causes and LGBTQ whatever causes, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's sort of a package deal. So they they don't really understand it, but they've unwittingly swallowed the pill of eugenics, the blue pill, mm-hmm. the the stay in the matrix pill. The, the one where you're being farmed and controlled by machines. You've seen right. The Matrix. Right. Maybe The Matrix, right? Yeah. Okay, now I'll make a note here that I've got to put a, a link to the farming of humans scene in The Matrix. Okay. <laughs> what do you think of the movie The Matrix? Oh, the first time I watched it, I was pretty scared. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. Were you younger? I was. Like, I don't know. 12, 14 maybe. Okay. Why were you watching it? I think my dad forced me (laughs) into it. (laughs) Okay. Very good. Good guy, that guy. (laughs) Tell me about social media. Do you use social media? Um, I don't. Do you have an Instagram account? I do. I have an Instagram account, and I use it sometimes. Pinterest? No. Twitter? No. Facebook? Facebook. Facebook? You do have Facebook? 
I mean, I've never really posted, but I have, I have them. Okay. Do your peers use these? Uh... It depends on the person. Yeah. So some, um, some of the kids don't use them, huh? Some of, yeah. I know a few people who don't use social media. Well, is don't. it the majority or the minority? I think it's the minority. Vast minority or? Um, well, Significant I think minority? it's the, I think it's a solid minority of. Like of, six out of, five out of ten, four out of ten, three out of ten? Uh, let's say three out of ten. People who just don't, don't, are getting tired of the disconnection of being fake uh really that's kind of cool i think i think i mean they still use like uh, other ways to contact people like uh marco polo or i mean i don't know if that's a social media thing but rather than text rather than text or instead of snapchat because snapchat's pretty i think most people have snapchat though do you have snapchat i don't i've Never really tried it. What's is the problem that, that those those applications just notify you all the time? They get in your face. I don't know. I, I a lot of people have TikTok, and they like they. I know a lot of people who have that. I feel like more. I've noticed more girls who um, are like so tuned in. To their phones and guys, at least where I live. Really? Yeah. Okay. But maybe it's just the people I'm with. Like I, I yeah. Of course, you've got your bias and thing. your your click or niche in society. Mm-hmm. What are some of your worries as a an attuned young person? What are what are some of the things you think about? Just anything? Yeah. Well, um, marriage. Finding okay. a finding a, a person who would <laughs> who's not crazy. <laughs> uh, okay, let's stop right there. <laughs> now, what what do you mean not crazy? Because that's. Okay. Everybody wants to know what that means. I mean several things. Well, I, I guess... Have you had bad dating experiences? I have. <laughs> I, it seems like so many people like are excited to like air their, their mental issues. They're, like To make that be a huge part of their personality. Like anxiety or depression. Um, Why do you think that's the case? I don't know. Maybe it makes is it them feel... Society has taught them that to be a victim is good. And for some somebody people... should somebody sh- somebody else needs to empathize with you or sympathize with you and and they score points by being oppressed by the situation. Yeah, like even my it's a new thing to like not don't uh tell someone to smile or like don't tell don't don't try to pick them up. It's okay if if you're not feeling well. You don't have to uh, try to be uh, happy. You just, like, you're feeling that way. And I don't know. My, my teacher is always saying, I'm not telling you you have to be happy. You just uh, hope you're 
hanging in there or whatever. I don't know. It's not because it, it used thing, to be it's like, like be a, be used to be you would motivate each other and be like, "Hey, snap out of it. Be happy." I don't like, know. What pick it, it up. To smile. <laughs> Life is good, right? Don't worry. Be happy. Uh, or at least people faking it. Um, but I, I guess it's acceptable to not. Mental issues are acceptable um, when I don't think they would have been in several decades ago. So are you saying that people don't... Uh, they're, not, they're not enthused about, about being positive. It's, it's like, hey, we're, it's bad. Everybody gets that it's bad. Let's not, let's not make a big deal out of it. And then you don't get... You don't hear them playing this song to each other. <laughs> Have you ever heard this? Yes, yes. We had an open mic recently at our apartment complex and someone sang this. So. It, I, I think it really is a certain section of, the, of my generation that is a victimized, that has a victimizing um, mentality. Self-victimizing. So they would hate it if you played that song for them. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. It's just like they they use their whether they're diagnosed problems or or just something they struggle with. They use it it seems with some people as an excuse to not improve. Like they they see that as hard and fast and they can't improve upon anything related to it. I I just don't like to see that in people. And it's not everyone. It's just happened uh, enough times that I realize that it's a thing. <laughs> that it's a real occurrence. Have you ever heard this? Yeah. Of course. We're playing Hakuna Matata from The Lion King. Okay. Anyway, that's our high tech uh, audio <laughs> audio Lincoln. So it's not, they don't have a Hakuna Matata mentality of that nothing matters and just be happy. They're sort of the reverse of that or, or the, the negative side of that. Nothing matters and be sad. Not quite to that extreme, but um, I wouldn't say that. But it's just they use their problems as excuses instead of taking control and responsibility so do you know a lot of kids on medication do a lot of them talk about that they have a lot of medication I do 
Interesting. Okay, so, so not what? a lot, but several people more than I would have thought. Would and they bring happen it. They bring it people. up, right? They'll say, "Oh, I have to take these pills." Or yeah, they bring it up themselves. I don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> what what kind of conditions are they like? Depression or psych psychological depression or psychological um, issues? Or are these like health issues? Depression, bipolar, anxiety, um, ADHD, or ADD, whichever one. Um, it, I don't know. If, I think that's the same as hyperactivity, um, being hyper. Um, sleeping issues, to, uh, other medications to counteract some side effects from their first medications. That one of well, one of my roommates says he he's high functioning autistic, and so he has several um, medications that he takes, and one of them is to like make it so he can sleep because one of his other medications makes it hard for him to fall asleep. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it seems kind of dangerous. Yeah. Uh Okay, so a lot do that that's another question then. These people, I remember we were talking about dating and crazy people, so we got to get back to that. Mm-hmm. But are are the kids pretty much bought into the medical establishment then? The medical establishment is going to solve their problems through pills. I mean, again, I can't really speak for everybody. I, it's only what I'm seeing, but I know certain people who are quite tied in, and the other people who are just healthy and haven't had to deal with okay medicine. But it's, there's a high percentage of people, or a significant percentage of people, that seem to have medical needs. Yeah, I just I remember going to college and not. It was never taught, really talked about. People didn't. Yeah, every once in a while, you'd run across somebody who had diabetes or mm-hmm. something. But and I don't think are it's... you saying like what three out of ten, four out of ten people have have medication medication type of issues. Well, I could say I maybe three out of ten. I don't know. I don't. These it's are the really it's only up. the people that I've yeah sure. that it's I not, inter- interact. This isn't with. A, this isn't a, a scientific study or anything. Right, right. You're just getting your take on the world from the perspective of an awakened young person. Right. And I don't think it's necessarily bad to talk about your issues if you need help, but the victim victim mentality is really worrying that I these are the people I'm going to have to share the world with. <laughs> <laughs> And this, is, and this is the dating pool from which you need to find a yeah. an eligible bachelorette. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, so you're worried about that, finding a finding somebody that's not crazy. I'm also worried about the kind of world I'll have to continue living in. Yeah. Like, um, I'm really worried about war. Okay. Um, Specifically, why? Well, like being drafted or... Oh, okay. Or whatever. Um, Does the anti-Chinese sentiment come up very often? Um, what do you mean? People who are... Well, right now, the, the mainstream media appears to be pushing China and Russia as the big enemies. And... I haven't heard anybody who says something anti-Chinese, but so I, the... I only hear people like... Uh, Pushing back, like, there's, like, a, a hashtag stop Asian hate or oh, okay. something. And I only hear that from 
like that—that's what I think is. Or I don't know. That's what I think is so interesting about this John Stewart episode, where it's now important for the statist left to assimilate the idea that the virus was engineered in a lab in China, because mm-hmm. that's the basically what we're saying is I, I don't think there's enough uh, vitriol anti-Chinese xenophobia, hatred, whatever out there. There's definitely in the media there's been more of a move against Russia. Uh, the news media there's been more of a an anti-Russian sentiment for the last four years. They wanted to call Donald Trump a Russian plant mm-hmm. or a uh, Manchurian type of candidate. Mm-hmm. By the way, the movie The Manchurian Candidate is not about a Chinese person that ends up being president. It's about uh, a candidate who was brainwashed by a corporation called the Manchurian Corporation or something like that. It's not about China. If you haven't seen that movie, I think it's Denzel Washington and then uh, Leave Schreiber. I, I think he's a great actor. Um, th- that's that's not about China. Hmm. Just FYI. <laughs> if you haven't seen it. But th- it just seems to me like there's not a lot of anti-China or even anti-Russia feeling or sentiment out there amongst young people. And you're, you're sort of corroborating that. So, that, I've, that I've seen. Yeah, to go to war, you have to get people to hate each other. And so the media is definitely pushing it. And I think there's a strong, in the, Trump, in the Trumpian conservative side of things, I think there's a strong distrust of Russia and China. And in some ways, rightly so, but not... I hope we can all adopt adopt the attitude of Ron Paul, Dr. Ron Paul, remember? <laughs> right. <laughs> Dr. Paul. And and uh, it's also the attitude of George Washington where we have peace and honest friendship with all nations and entangling alliances with none. We, we don't need to be going to war with these people. We, we need to be cutting back on the size of government and the size of our military to more of a defensive posture instead of antagonizing countries all over the world. Mm-hmm. But, but anyway, yeah, so you, you, in the media right now, you're seeing that, that's, that's what's important is we want to see what they're saying, who, who's saying it, why are they saying it, why now? Mm-hmm. And it appears that there's a, there's a move towards war. I've always been worried about that same thing that the world is moving towards that, towards a broader war, a hot war. And so it's interesting that you're concerned about it because it sounds like your peers aren't. Yeah, I don't know. So why, what is it that causes you to worry about it? Is it uh, people like me? Because I, well, I just really, really hate violence. (laughs) Like it has watching movies with violence in it has like a, a visceral effect on me mm-hmm. and it I really don't like it okay what are some other worries other thoughts um, about the world the way it is well economic collapse uh, but I'm I wouldn't 
Well, what do you care? You, you're flush with cash from government stimulus, right? <laughs> it's just this. <laughs> it's, did, it's, you, it's, did you get some? Did you get some government stimulus? I did, but it's. it's How a, much money? Um, let's see. I got. I think twenty two hundred in total. In total. Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> that goes a long way for a, a young man your age. It does. If you're careful. It's <laughs> don't don't without without disclosing what you might have done with your stimulus, name some ideas of what a young person with your mental state ought to do with their stimulus. What's what are some good ideas that a person could do with their stimulus? <laughs> I, I don't know how specific you want me to be. Well, you in, would you invest in Bitcoin? Oh, I haven't looked into cryptocurrency, so no. Are a lot of your peers into Bitcoin? Yeah, uh, cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency is really popular. Yeah, how do they do it? T- uh, through Robinhood? Through, uh, is that the app? Yeah. I think I think so. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're more like into Dogecoin. Or oh, Dogecoin. You know what Dogecoin the, is, right? All the... The smaller currencies, like like Dogecoin, was a, a joke and it just blew up, right? Right. Yeah. Interestingly enough, right now, uh, Bitcoin is thirty two thousand six hundred dollars a coin, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is at thirty three nine forty five. So the Dow and a Bitcoin are kind of in in sync right now. That's interesting. I wonder if Ethereum will match the S&P 500 at some point. Mm-hmm. It's just a crazy thought. It's uh, Ethereum, I think, is right now, let's see, 1912, and the S&P is at 4246, so Ethereum would have to double. But it almost did, Ethereum did almost get there. Hmm. Okay, so, so Bitcoin is something people, do you think they're using their stimulus on the Bitcoin? It's a possibility. I you guys ever talk about? It. Have you talked about what people are doing with their stimulus? I Anybody haven't. traveling? Oh, so that's not a topic. They're not like, hey, I got money. I I just haven't. It hasn't come up in the conversation with people I associate with. Okay. But what I what I've been doing is buying useful things that I think are important and maybe I've wanted for a while. So. So you've been buying things rather than saving. Right. Because, well. I've been reading some books about inflation, and it makes me hesitant. <laughs> to, okay, what have you to, been reading about inflation? Um, I like Uncle Eric. Well, Uncle Eric's uh, model for the world by Richard Mayberry. That's it's a whole series. Um, I don't know exactly what it's called, but it's uh, a series on economics and history and how we got where we are today. And how to succeed in the uncertain um, So it's climate. a series of books. I'm familiar with it. What, which book in particular? I've been reading The Clipper Ship Stra- Strategy. Okay, we'll put a link to that up on the website. I do like The Clipper Ship Strategy too. Uh, really good book about how money flows in an economy. Why, mm-hmm. why certain industries are more lucrative more financially advantageous than others you know he he talks about a concept called money cones 
in this book and how money comes are either naturally occurring or artificially occurring. So the money, it's easier to make money when money is flowing. Money doesn't just fall on the United States like a blanket. It it aggregates in certain areas. The largest money cone, and it's an artificial money cone, the largest money cone in the world is Washington, D.C., because that's where all the money in the right. world, or especially in the United States, the Western economies, it, it sort of originates there or is dispositioned there by the United States federal government. Right. And then you have money cone, artificially created money cones in areas like insurance, uh, health insurance, uh, you know, you're mandated to purchase auto insurance. So those are, those are money cones, mm-hmm. uh, 401k retirement planning, the medical industry itself, you know, these, these are places where money just gets pushed because of government regulation. And then you have natural occurring money cones like the gold rush of the 1840s. And that's, right. that's sort of the basis for the, the, the analogy the book is named after, the clipper ship strategy. And so he talks about how people made money during the gold rush and where it came from and how long it lasted. And mm-hmm. So... Interesting ideas there. I, I really like that one. A couple of other books that Richard Mayberry wrote that are really good are Whatever Happened to Justice and Whatever Happened to Penny Candy. So we'll put a link up to those two. Those are really good, really good foundational books. Mm-hmm. Have you read those? I have. They're really insightful. The books are written from the perspective of a of a young man who's asking his uncle Eric questions, his, his know-it-all uncle or whatever, his successful uncle, mm-hmm. and the, the uncle writes these letters back, and so every letter is a chapter. Right. Or every chapter is a letter. And it's a pretty easy read for, for the difficulty of the material. <laughs> yeah, he has a good way of boiling it all down. So inflation is is concerning to you. Is it just because yeah. of his series or, or other things? Oh, well, or gro- just because you've seen inflation? Groceries have gotten more expensive, and, and gas. And, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So you're literally watching that happen. Yes. Yeah. And it's it's scary. What? Tell me this. Um, I read an article about smart thermostats the other day because there's a huge heat wave in Texas and a lot of people have reported that their their temperatures in their homes are being messed with externally so as to cause them to use a lot less electricity, right? So because they have a thermostat that's connected to the internet. Huh. The, the some authority, the government or the power company or whatever has come in and turned their heat or their cool down, cool mm-hmm. up, the turn the temperature, temperature up, up so they use less electricity. And I people heard are of that. yeah. There's a theory or there, an idea out there that has gained some attention in the last twenty years called the Internet of Everything. The idea that everything's going online and everything's being built to be controlled remotely. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't heard of it, but uh, 
I found a, well, I know uh, recently I saw a girl who can start her car from her phone and that scared, <laughs> scared yeah, so that's, me. <laughs> that's what I'm asking is how, how tied into it are these kids that you know to the idea that everything needs to be on the internet. Apparently so. So some girl's got her, her phone. Is it like a Tesla or something? Or a... it's I don't know what... I don't remember what car it was. It's not a Tesla. I think it's a... I don't think it's an electric vehicle. Huh. It's just an app where you... It's press a button and it starts your car. And it does other stuff like... Yeah, I don't like the idea of my car being connected to any sort of a network. Even though something like OnStar is convenient, Mm -hmm. where you could call somebody and have them unlock the doors. The problem is if if they can do that and your car is equipped with, say, accident avoidance type of machinery, like an electronic throttle Mm -hmm. or any sort of a motor on your steering wheel or brakes, then somebody can electronically steer and brake and yeah. speed you up so that's that's kind of uh concerning concerning yes. yeah well what what do you think though the kids i mean do they do they like that idea or do a lot of people have remote controlled or are they super keyed into internet the internet of things this idea that everything is online and well i know i don't know online shopping is a th- is what people do. Well, that's a given. Yeah. Um, they don't have a lot of gadgety devices, locks. No, no, but they play a lot of video games. Okay. What all, kind of video games? All my games? roommates. Um, I don't even know all the names. I saw like the one called Overwatch, maybe. Are these first-person shooters where you run around and shoot people and then loot their corpses? Um, I don't know, but some of them are, yeah. Or like zombie games, or because see, I I would definitely bring this up with Bobby all the time that yeah. that we're being trained to kill people and loot the corpses yeah. for the apocalypse. That is concerning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what are some of your hopes? What are some positives you see on the on the horizon here? I don't know. I'm a pessimist. <laughs> um, well, are you excited about finishing school and getting out into the workforce and being your own person? Sort of. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm well. I'm excited about meeting more people, uh, but I don't know. That's not really a hopes for the world. Or... There's no recovering statist young persons association. <laughs> there isn't. I should start you it. You should start it. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. Yes. Well, we've gone through all the questions that I had. We've been talking for about an hour, which makes this a little shorter than normal podcast, hour and 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. you're a little short on the hope side of things which is probably going to be depressing for the, the listeners well <laughs> it's depressing for me too listeners <laughs> <laughs> okay very good very good uh, what, what else would you want to talk about are there other things like um, 
You've listened to some of the podcasts, right? I've listened to most of them. All right, so you're a faithful podcast listener. Yes. Thank you very much. One of the <laughs> you're few, welcome. One of the few and the proud. <laughs> so what uh, you've give us some comments on what you've heard or uh, things you want to talk about. What where, where would you steer the discussion if you if you had the uh, the controls? In the future, or no, the podcast this discussion podcast. right now. Um, Take over. Jeez, did did you finish your list? Yeah, I, I talked about everything that I wanted to to talk to you about. If if you listeners have any questions for Tom, I'm sure we can get him back on in the future. I'll twist his arm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if if you want to ask him any questions about. The pers- you know what his perspective is as a as an attuned or awakened young person, and let's let's be honest. There's all always more greater awakenings ahead for people, you know, especially when Absolutely. you're especially when you're younger. Uh, that might be one of those difficult things that you have to deal with in your life is the fact that you had these weighty topics, these heavy, heady, weighty topics thrown upon you at a young age, and of course you've always been a little bit different, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> so that that might be something that you face in the future but uh but anyway, if you have any comments for Tom, yeah, go ahead and post them on our website mindvirus.show. It's not a .com, it's a .show and it's uh a place where like I said we like to post all of our references and other material that's interesting related to the to the to the topics at hand and the tangents at hand. This one is episode twenty eight. I'm not sure what we're going to entitle it. A look into the future, <laughs> but or no, future generation. So, yeah, yeah. what what would you want to talk about if you you, you get to control well, the podcast right now? Is there anything just from past had, episodes had or? My thought is well, I mean. When I when I meet people, I notice at least with young people, I feel like there are a lot of good people, but they they have a lot of influences um, from media or from from their peers or from other people or other sources, and I feel like some of them could be uh, persuaded into. Uh, a mindset that would be better for, for America. Um, but organizing people is the challenge. Like, how do you, um, how do you contact, like get, get to know them? How do you persuade them? How do you meet the people and how do you bring like-minded people together? Um, that sort of thing. Are you asking me that question? Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> and and the world and the universe. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Well, there there are a lot of people, individuals, and organizations or institutions out there that purport to have the right way or the truth or whatever, and they do a lot of missionary work or proselyting or advertising, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. to try to get people to join their cause. Some are more effective than others. The ones that are the most effective have to do with the state money and the the oligarchy's money. What's what's interesting is the 
the oligarchy has been very effective at u- taking people's money and resources and time and using it against us mm-hmm. through through the income tax and the public education system. And so they, they of course, are the heavy-handed, you know, 6,000-pound gorilla in the, in the room in the city here, mm-hmm. mucking everything up and uh, ca- causing a lot of the angst. And so... You, you have a, an obvious, almost what appears to be an insurmountable mind hurdle to overcome there to get people to, to coalesce around different ideas. Because that, that mechanism of the oligarchy and the state-run schools and the government provides a, a built-in controlled, multiple controlled opposition groups. You know, that you think that especially for a young person, they think, oh, there's choices here. I can be a Republican or I can be a Democrat or I can be a Libertarian. And that means you do these things. If you're, if you're really hip with, the, with pop culture, you become a Democrat, a leftist statist. And if you're a little bit antagonistic to that, a little more traditional and more Christian, you become a right statist, a conservative mm-hmm. Republican. And then if you're just a little wacky, you become a Libertarian. And everybody gives deference to the state and the system. And, and mm-hmm. rarely do you hear people talking about the corruption in a really articulate, correct way. Usually it's just corruption on the other side rather than, rather, rather than uh, endemic, cancerous corruption that has taken over the entire body. Right. So, so that's, that's the, the big hurdle, the difficult thing to to address when you're talking about bringing people together because they come from those backgrounds. We, we, can, we could categorize into you know, those three main categories, Republican, Democrat, or Libertarian, most of the population. And then, and then you could probably add five or ten more categories to add additional color that would demonstrate where people had been indoctrinated to start with. And then... You can identify the sources of that indoctrination and how they all link, for the most part, back up to the oligarchy. So mm-hmm. nobody likes to admit right off the bat that, oh yeah, I've, I've been indoctrinated. We, we get brought up in the public school system and in our church or you know community groups mm-hmm. to think that our way is the right way. And right. then... And then what generally happens is the kid will get out on their own and they'll form some opinions in their early 20s and think, oh, I figured it out. I'm now an adult. I'm making my own decisions. And they don't recognize where all of the, the information has been coming from and how it's been twisted. So, mm-hmm. so it's difficult. And there are really two main motivating factors that... The two two main motivating forces that cause people to take action or buy things or do things, and those forces are fear, mm-hmm. and then <laughs> uh, fear on one end. If we're talking about advertising, we'd say fear and sex. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but really, the motivating factors in the world are fear and love, mm-hmm. right? And but but you have this self gratification angle that is thrown in, in thrown into that when we're talking about motiv- motivating factors fear and greed 
Greed could be right. one of those. But really, the two main motivating factors in the world are fear and love. Mm-hmm. And fear is by far the most effective, obvious, immediate way to get people to respond. So right. what, what I see is that you, if you're going to go out and advertise, first of all, you've got to have some sort of a reason, a raison d'etre, a reason for being, a, some sort of a, an MO. Like here on the Mind Virus podcast, we exist because we think that the conversations Bobby and I were having are interesting and that other people might like to hear hear that as we discuss current events and philosophy mm-hmm. and literature and stuff like that. And, and so I think, you know, I'm not sure exactly how many listeners we have, but I think it's resonant with a lot of people and it gets passed mm-hmm. around. But it's not the type of thing that sells. It's not the type right. of thing that really, because it's not... It's not overtly fear-based. I, I know we talk about a lot of things that may be fearful, but we're not really pushing the, oh, if you don't listen to this or buy this or support our Patreon account or whatever, right. then this will happen. Donald Trump will be elected or he will not be elected or the Republicans will do X, Y, Z or the Democrats will do this. You know, mm-hmm. So in, in a lot of in a lot of these activist groups, that's what the motivating factor is, is fear. If you, if you don't join our group and pay us a lot of money, the globe will warm. It will spontaneously combust. Cats and dogs will be sleeping together. The apocalypse will be upon us. And then on a, on a statist right side, it would be, if you do not pay us money, support our group, the government, government will pass gun control, and they're going to codify abortion, and so we're going to kill a lot of babies and take away your guns. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the way they motivate. And it's, I'm not trying to say that there there are not movements to attempt to do those things, to cause the government to to do those things, to take your rights or to take your money and abort babies or whatever. Those mm-hmm. those types of things are on the table. It's just to organize. It's usually based on fear, and so it puts you in a strange position because if you want to draw if you want to draw people to you truth is generally far too complicated mm-hmm. and stranger than fiction <laughs> for people to to have the stamina or the desire to believe it right right <laughs> and that's that's a difficult place to be because you lose most people just on the stamina alone i i have this problem where I tend to give people a lot of context, and so I'll lose mm-hmm. people just in the in the context. It's like, okay, right. that guy Jordan just just going off, and their eyes glaze over, and I I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, but but that's how far, in my opinion, the reality is from the observ- the the observable reality. If you study, that's how far away it is from the. Um, the perceived reality that we're being told in the public schools and in the media. Mm-hmm. But that to get there requires, again, stamina, perseverance, and um, a desire to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, don't, if, you, if you don't want to change, if you don't want to change how you look at the world and, and potentially change some of the things you do because of how you look at the world, you're never going to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is a typical problem in the world. In fact, I think that's one of the main reasons we're here is to determine if we will, if we will 
seek out and side with truth, the whole truth, the, the uncomfortable truth, over, over the glittering earthly imitation, to mm-hmm. borrow a phrase from Hugh Nibley. Right, right. Yeah, so, so it's tough. So you're, you're looking for a certain type of people, and, and that, you know, we've, we've mentioned this before on the podcast. There's a phrase by, it was an old Scotsman, I can't remember his name right now, but he says, men go mad in herds, but they come to their senses one at a time. And so it's not like you should expect to, to establish a recovering statist uh, young person <laughs> group, group what did we call it the the recovering recovering status young persons. status young people association T R Y A the T R Y A the the recovering young people's R S Y P A what's that the recovering statists young people's association okay the R S Y P A that sounds that's got a better it's got a better ring to it anyway it was Charles McKay that said men go mad in herds. But they come their senses one at a time. Yeah, it's not likely that that's going to be a, a really quick growing group, <laughs> unless right. you can somehow put a lot of pizzazz and and sex appeal or fear. Which I'm not into. good at. So we, <laughs> I, what I mean more is like genuine personal connections. Uh, it seems difficult uh, to do, and especially when everybody is so like. focused on immediate gratification and they're programmed by social media they're conditioned by social media to want things that are not necessarily good for them or realistic I don't know I'm I'm mostly just lamenting at (laughs) about the RSYPA maybe Maybe we'll get that organized. We'll get Tom here to organize it, and then we'll announce the first meeting, <laughs> the, the the date and the location of the first meeting, the time of the first meeting. We'll see how many young people show up. But yeah, truth truth doesn't seem to sell as well as truth colored by something you know something to motivate people. Right. And that is a lament. That is a lament. Anyway, well, give us some parting words of encouragement and uh, hope, and we'll we'll wrap this up. Jeez, Jordan, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a big responsibility. <laughs> it's a <big> responsibility. <laughs> um. Well, I don't have any words of encouragement. Life is hard, and then you die. <laughs> My dad once gave me that advice. <laughs> Life is hard, and then you die. <laughs> okay, well, let me just say this. You've read the Book of Mormon, right? Yes. 
I'm going to paraphrase Alma chapter 37, verses 38 through the end of the chapter. And that's what we'll send everyone off with in this podcast, because there is hope. And in my opinion, and if you've been listening to us, I think you, you understand where I'm coming from. In my opinion, those of us here on this earth right now at this time are here for a specific reason, to participate in the wrapping up scene of, the, of this world experiment to determine which souls here will be loyal to God, the gods of light, the true Christ, and, and goodness and, and all that, or whether they're going to be loyal to the darkness and the evil ones. And so that's, that's the main thing that's at issue here in this world. It's not a checklist. It's not about checking off boxes and performing specific ordinances or, or you know, doing something that the, the society thinks you're supposed to do, following all the society's laws or whatever. I'm, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be moral. It's just, it's not about that. It's about loyalty to God. And God, our God, the great God of light, speaks to us through our conscience, if you want to call it, our spirit, through, through the Holy Ghost, if you want to call it that, and tells us, deep in our hearts, the truth. And we grapple with that, we wrestle with it, and we sometimes ignore it. Sometimes we don't want to hear it, because it tells us things, He tells us things, that are uncomfortable and sometimes tells us he wants to teach us truths that would put us at odds with our deeply held beliefs or perhaps with our family members or people in our religious institution or our neighborhood or in our our local Republican or Democrat caucus or something like that. It's, truth is something that tends to... create divisions amongst highly orthodox groups like a like a statist orthodoxy or a religious orthodoxy where where conformity is valued over truth so god is always teaching truth and he's teaching truth to us each individually independent of these institutions and that's why i'm talking about conscience and holy ghost because we all came here at this time to overcome the darkness and the evil by hearing the truth and, and learning what he wants us to learn and doing what he wants us to do in this wrapping up scene. And so in Alma chapter 37, Alma is speaking to his son Helaman. This is Alma the Younger. And he's just told him about the secret combinations. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just warned him about the secret combinations, the conspiracies. And then he wraps it up by talking about the Liahona. And you're going to see that the Liahona is a type or a shadow or a symbol of that Holy Ghost, that Holy Spirit, that voice of God, that internal compass, that, that, that light deep within each of us that will bring us back to our God and help us to be saved from this dark world. And he says this, now, my son, I have somewhat to say concerning the thing which our fathers called a ball or a director, or our fathers called it Liahona, which is being interpreted a compass. And the Lord prepared it. 
And behold, there cannot any man work after the manner of so curious a workmanship. And behold, it was prepared to show unto our fathers the course which they should travel in the wilderness. Do you ever feel like you're in the wilderness, Tom, here? All the time. <laughs> and it did work for them according to their faith in God. Therefore, if they had faith to believe that God should cause those spindles to point the way that they should go, behold, it was done. Therefore, they had this miracle. And also many other miracles wrought by the power of God day by day. Nevertheless, because those miracles were worked by small means, it did show them marvelous works, and they were slothful and forgot to exercise their faith and diligence. And then those marvelous works ceased, and they did not progress in their journey. You feel like you're on a journey? Yes. Okay. <laughs> we've talked about that here also very much on the podcast, about the hero's journey, about the journey of the soul. And in our lives, these miracles, evidenced by these small communications from God and the, and the things that happen, they are small and do show us marvelous works, but can cause us, because they're small, they can, we can become slothful and forget and not continue to exercise our faith and diligence, and we can see those marvelous works cease. Therefore, they tarried in the wilderness and did not travel a direct course. And they were afflicted with hunger and thirst because of their transgressions. That reminds me of the Lord saying, If you drink from this well, from these waters, you'll thirst again. But if you drink from the water that I give you, you shall never thirst again. And now, my son, I would that you should understand that these things are not without a shadow or a symbol. For as our fathers were slothful to give heed to this compass... Now, these things were temporal. They did not prosper. Even so is it with things which are spiritual. For behold, it is as easy to give heed to the word of Christ, which will point to you a straight course to eternal bliss, as it was for our fathers to give heed to this compass, which would point unto them a straight course to the promised land. And now I say... Is there not a type in this thing? For just as surely as this director did bring our fathers by following its course to the promised land, shall the words of Christ, if we follow their course, carry us beyond this veil of sorrow into a far better land of promise. O oh, my son, do not let us be slothful because of the easiness of the way. For so it was with our fathers. For so it was prepared for them, that if they would look, they might live. Even so, it is with us. The way is prepared. And if we look, we may live forever. Now, my son, see that you take care of these sacred things. See that you look to God and live. Go unto this people and declare the word, and be sober, my son. Farewell. Well, on that note, I echo the words of Alma to to son Helaman, is there not a symbol in the Liahona that just as surely as that director brought the Nephites from the old world to the new world, which they called the promised land, so also will the words of Christ to each of us individually, through our heart minds, through our spirits, if we will follow their course, they will carry us beyond this veil of sorrow, into a far better land of promise. And what a pleasure it will be when we make it. <laughs> All right. On that note, 
Thanks for joining us for the Mind Virus podcast today. Again, find us on the web at mindvirus.show. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with others. We're hoping that it can be helpful and uplifting and informative as there are so many out there who are just hoping and looking for something to help them on their journey. We hope that this could be that thing. Take care. Have a great week. See you guys.